Welcome back to Late Bloomers, the web series, the podcast. I'm Pooja and she's Rashi. Today we are joined by a very special guest, writer, educator, recovering musician, South by Southwest speaker and co-host of the illustrious Jilted Indian podcast, Dr. Miranda George. Welcome, Miranda. I'm so glad to have you here. I was excited by the idea of bringing my like super prissy Shruti Nambi Padam back. <laughs> I've rather enjoyed y'all weaving that into your episode. Today, we are going to talk about Mindy Kaling's past works, all the way from her one-act play, Matt and Ben, through the most recent Hulu's Four Weddings and a Funeral reboot. This career has spanned 18 years, but before we get started, what is your favorite piece or character or episode of anything that Mindy has ever worked on? I really appreciated the Diwali episode of The Office. I thought it was really well written, and I think it's become iconic among the Asian American, well, the South Asian American community, specifically, you know, because it's the first cultural mocking by an Indian person on mainstream TV, I think. And it was right on. I really liked it. But I don't like Kelly Kapoor that much. I really enjoyed the Niagara episodes of The Office. I liked the second episode in particular because I think that might have been the only episode of The Office that ever made me cry. I thought it was really sweet. Miranda, what about you? I also loved the Diwali episode of The Office. Uh, for the exact same reasons you talk about Pooja, it's just like, uh, am I really seeing like my life on screen, and am I identifying with what I'm seeing on screen? It was it was really exciting to see that. First, we'll talk about the one act play Matt and Ben. Mandy Kaling has a bachelor's degree in playwriting from Dartmouth. I believe she graduated in two thousand one. Play was written in two thousand two with her friend and roommate, Brenda Withers, who also went to Dartmouth with her. In this play, Mindy portrays Ben Affleck and Brenda portrays Matt Damon during the time period in which they're writing Goodwill Hunting. So approximately, I think it's 1995 or so. Greg Daniels, the executive producer of the American adaptation of The Office, was in the audience and hired her to write for The Office and then later had her produce for the show. It ran in 2002 at the New York International Fringe Festival and then from 2003 to 2004 off-Broadway. Now, it was written in the height of Benefer. I don't know if it necessarily holds up now. <laughs> I think we talked about it like neither of us really connected with this one, did we? I'm not a fan of Goodwill Hunting and this just seemed like Boston Boy J.D. Salinger porn. I did not resonate with it. 2000. It's very 2000. As an actress during this time, Mindy appeared in bit part, most notably as Amy in The 40-Year-Old Virgin. The Office, Mindy played Kelly Kapoor. She was also a staff writer. At the time, she was 24 years old, and she was the only female and only person of color in the writer's room. Think about the fact that she has several episodes in the first season that were written by her. So I think that was tremendous, and that was something The Office gave us. Overall, she wrote 25 episodes. She directed one and a couple of the shorts, and she did serve as executive producer through season eight. There are several iconic 
episodes of The Office, you know, two of us mentioned the Diwali episode. There's also the Jim and Pam wedding episode, which was also mentioned up front. The other thing I thought that she wrote about really well was microaggressions. And we'll talk about that throughout. Miranda Rashi, what were your thoughts on The Office? It's probably my favorite of all of Mindy's work. I really appreciate her writing. I think she's an excellent comedy writer. She has like a really quick style and it's you know like whether it's quick banter between two people or just excellent one-liners and little zingers that come in normal conversation normally I can tell which episodes of a show she's written just based on the comedy alone like even in Never Have I Ever I'm like okay these ones are written by her Um, and in Champions you can tell these ones are written by her I think it really showcases what an excellent comedic writer she is agreed i was watching champions and going this is just familiar you know these quips that she does there's a style to it you know it was really cool to see an indian character in the office you know i wasn't watching it as it came out it was more like i was aware there was an indian person in a show in a major show that everybody loved and then it became people quoting it and then it became people making references into it now there's like another whole gen- another generation of Gen Z who's really into the show and they have memes and gifts galore just out there. And it's wild because back when it came out, we weren't seeing a lot of brown women on TV. So it was pretty fucking cool to see somebody who wasn't just brown, dark brown. And that part of that cinematography is terrible. Um, they, don't, they don't know how to do people of color on screen yet. Yes, agreed. I loved her writing. Really cool to see Mindy Kaling over and over again. Before we move on from The Office, though, I want to mention that in recent years, Mindy has pointed out that she was almost left out of Emmy presentations or award presentations when the writing staff would be nominated for things and they she would be the only name left out of things because they wanted enough room on the placard for other people. And she made a fuss and she got her name included in things. But Obviously, it hurt what? enough that she pointed out the inequity of things. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. How pissed would you be? Well, the book, her very first one in 2011, is called Is Everyone Hanging Out Without Me? Well, yeah, they are on the placard. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Aww. I guess the first question I had is, is this a memoir or is it a collection of essays? Um, I think it is more of the latter. One chapter... I think it was the first first or second one in the book. It was called Chubby for Life. was about her being bullied for her weight, um, whether she was large or whether she was not large. Then there's a chapter called Matt and Ben and Mindy and Brenda, which is about the play, which you already heard about. Another <laughs> chapter about her weight. And I kept a couple quotes from here. For the record, I'm a size eight this week anyway. Many stylists hate that size because I think to them, it shows that I lack the discipline to be an ascetic or the confident, sassy abandon to be a total fatty hedonist. They're like, pick a lane. Just be so enormous that you need to be buried in a piano and dress accordingly. Finally, at the end of that chapter, she bullies a stylist into letting her wear what she wants to wear. And she says, the line she used was that I don't feel comfortable. And she says that I don't feel comfortable is the classic manipulative girl get my way line. It's right up there with, I don't feel entirely safe. What did y'all think of the book? I remember when I read this, I thought she hates herself because of all the ways she talks about her body in such a very negative way. 
but she tries to play it off as a joke. I thought it was just like a cute and funny collection of essays, and I enjoyed it at the time. But now that I think about it, like, I don't feel like I really know anything more about her from reading it. I think I identified with her a lot in this book. And again, it was maybe, you know, you know how when you think about things nostalgically, you may be painting a better picture of it, painting a picture of the experience rather than what it actually is for you. But I will say when I read it at the time, I had never read a memoir of an Indian woman. Mm-hmm. Not only a memoir of an Indian woman, I, I've never read a memoir of an Indian woman like me, who was raised around a lot of white people. Felt like I didn't, like, I don't know about her, but I felt like I didn't belong. But then just reading this story of a girl who had similar experiences, wanted to be, like, this is so silly, but wanted to, like, not be white or anything, but to be treated equally. That sounds so strange because if you say that in 2020, people are like, yeah, you deserve to be treated equally. But when you're an insecure person who hates yourself, Pooja, correct? When you're an insecure person who hates yourself, it's like, oh yeah, I just I just want to be treated equally and belong. I got mm-hmm. a lot of those vibes. It, it was, I was connecting perhaps to my past insecurities. I think that's the most accurate way I can put that. Uh, I was reading my own insecurities in a book. I was reading my life in a book. And so I, I, I thought it was, and I still think it is one of the best things she's done. She has been the first Indian American woman to do a lot of things in television. Nobody really knows TV writers. Let's think about that, right? Nobody knows their favorite TV writers. They don't develop a personality on screen that then transcends a couple more notable appearances in her performance repertoire. She voiced a couple characters on Despicable Me and Wreck-It Ralph, where she played Taffeta Mutton Fudge. Miranda, did you say that you saw this movie? I think she's one of the little friends in the candy land that... Something about Mindy's voice, it seems like, is very suited for voice acting. She has a very unique voice. And I guess to add to the performances, she performed her audiobook. She was in No Strings Attached, where she played She-Ra. That was the movie with Ashton Kutcher and Natalie Portman trying to be friends with benefits but falling in love. And then she was in the five-year engagement where she played Vanita. That film also (laughs) featured Randall Park playing a character named Ming and Kumal Nanjiani playing a character credited as Pakistani chef. And look at them now, Jason Segel. Look at them now. He wrote the movie. From 2012 to 2017, Mindy helmed her own TV show. She had three seasons on Fox, two on Hulu of The Mindy Project. The show was produced in part by her own production company, Kaling International. Mindy wrote 25 episodes of this, the majority of which were season premieres and finales. And with The Mindy Project, she became the first woman of color to create, write, and star in a primetime sitcom. Early seasons of the show were about the toxic... Will they, won't they, between Dr. Mindy Lahiri and Dr. Danny Castellano. When they finally got together, she had to be told that her light was being dimmed by him. And he was written out of the show after they became uh, co-parents of a child. Chris Messina was off doing movies and stuff like that and other TV shows. So that, I think, was the reason that that storyline had to be abandoned. And I got to say, I watched the show from beginning to end. And I think 
the choices they made in which to take the story in the final seasons were pretty good in terms of what they had to work with. But also this final season was when they got quote unquote woke with episodes such as Mindy Lahiri is a white man where they tackle the mediocrity of white men. <laughs> Mindy Lahiri is a misogynist where they tackle why there are only white male doctors in Mindy in the practice. Bernardo and Anita, which was co-written by perennial Mindy collaborator Matt Warburton, to address repeated criticisms of the show. Mindy is on a date with an Indian man named Neil, and he calls her a coconut because she does not have any Indian friends. There's a funny moment in that episode where Mindy asks her brother Rishi, played by Utkarsh Ambukar, whether or not they, you know he thinks she's Indian enough, and he responds... You grew up white and I grew up black, which I think is, you know, very good writing. The American assimilation experience distilled down into a joke. But if you care to learn more about the coconut episode, you can read Alex Jung's vulture piece from May 2016 entitled Why the Mindy Project's Coconut Episode Was the Smart Response to Criticism of the Show. Her parents were played by the great Sakina Joffrey and Ajay Mehta. Mindy used her Indianness to get her son into an elite private school in the later seasons. And I think a good wrap up and a summation of the show was written in August 2017 by Lavanya Ramanathan. And the piece is titled, The Mindy Project Was Never Really Woke, but at least it starred a South Asian woman. Miranda, what about The Mindy Project do you remember and did you appreciate? Um, this was on the heels of reading her book, so I was initially excited. Loved it, was behind it. You know, I thought the, the first season was fun, campy, but then uh, I didn't like Danny, like at all, like mm -hmm. at all. Um, I didn't like him from the start. So, like, the idea that she was building a love story around totally unlikable guy makes me think mm -hmm. of sociological issues between codependence and dismissive avoidance. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe, maybe that's her life. I don't know. <laughs> like, that's what she's attracted to, and that's what she writes into her stories. I don't know. She had 10 million white boyfriends she would make comments like black guys love me in the episode where they went to the club how can you say something like that and never have another like poc boyfriend in the show i'm not sure if she did or not but like she never dated a black guy in the show she did she dated neo for an episode yeah. i watched the whole season i gotta say there is merit to the criticism she received from things like, why is a show about an OBGYN not tackling abortion or birth control? She did things like that weren't really tackled throughout the series. And when you're talking about the body shaming from the office, from her first book, it's so prevalent here. She's so self-deprecating, both visually, things like Danny will, will be cooking two steaks for dinner and he puts one down on the table and he's getting the other one to put it on the table and she's already finished the first one, right? And there's a lot of Danny making her work out and controlling her diet and things like that. And the first time I watched it, I didn't think anything of it. I was kind of, I kind of really liked Danny because I was just like, oh, a man that can tame me type of shit. But when I went back and watched it for this, I was like, oh my God, he should have been murdered in the pilot when he told her... <laughs> 
that in order for her to look hot, she needed to lose 15 pounds. The other thing that was problematic to me is that the head writer on this show was Ike Barinholtz. He's funny. He's fine. Great. Is he the right person to have a show about an Indian American woman? Maybe not to me. I, I, no. <laughs> Just no. And the other thing that was very problematic was that Sosha Rockmore, who played Tamra in the early seasons, was very blackity black, 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 right? You can tell that there was not a black hairdresser on this show because her wigs were fucked up. They were later episodes that got better as well as the writing for Sosha Rockmore. She was, and that was kind of the critique they had as well. Not just the white boyfriends was the overall whiteness of the cast. I, I, I think when it moved to Hulu, it tried to tackle those things, but the seminal episodes except for the coconut episode weren't really written by her i don't know i i watched all of it when it was on fox i didn't watch the rest of it until i had to prepare for this episode i didn't feel bad about it once i finished it I, the body shaming alone mm-hmm. is, is it's so bad it takes you out of the show and maybe that's our new sensibilities now we've been taught by yeah. lizzo how to behave huh. <laughs> and going back and looking at that that's not how we do things now. Bye. I was super excited for it when it premiered. Again, like in The Office, it has some really funny lines. And I feel like when it was on Fox, it had some lines that were so funny and they were so fast and just dropped in the conversation. Like if you weren't really paying attention, you would miss some of the funniest stuff on the show. It seems like one of the ones where if you revisited, you would still catch a lot of stuff that's super funny. I still think about Beyonce pad tie and I laugh about that frequently. That uh, that episode is actually one of the highest rated in terms of stars. It's like 8.2. As the seasons went on, I thought it was very uneven. Like the, the cast of the show... It started out where she had a BFF. Why did she have multiple BFFs that disappeared? Like, why does she have no female friends? Like, if she had female friends, they would be like, get the hell away from the bastion of toxic masculinity that is Danny Castellano. I just, I don't know. I can't stand that she doesn't have girlfriends. Like, I, it bothers me when women don't have other women friends. Like, what's wrong with you that you can't? You're either competitive and a weirdo or you're boy crazy and still a weirdo. You touched on something there that was in a lot of the criticism of her season was that it's very uneven. They took the character Beverly out of the show for like four or five episodes and then they brought her back. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so the best friends went away before May sweeps of that first season. And then it transitioned to a lot of Danny and Mindy. To follow up the Mindy project, guess who wrote another book? This one was called Why Not Me? And again, question, is this a memoir or a collection of essays? I looked up what the Library of Congress has it as, and it has it under biography, adulthood humor, and conduct of life humor. Uh, I don't know what that means. I found a website for the book and I think this was her website before it became the book's website, but it looks like all that's on there now is the book stuff. Um, the concerns of Mindy Kaling.com. And on the website, it says in 2011, Mindy penned the comedic memoir is everyone hanging out without me and other concerns, which continues to be featured on New York times and USA's bestseller lists. Mindy's second memoir Why Not Me was released September 2015 and launched at number one on the New York Times bestseller list. So these are both memoirs, according to her, because this is her book's website. Now, some notable chapters in this book 
One, she has one called Being a Bad Sport. And I think this is when she wanted to be nominated for an Emmy, was one of the people announcing Emmy nominations, and it ended up not being her. And I think she's talking about the Mindy Project at this point. It seems like from both books that I've noticed that she really, really wants to win an award. And so far they've eluded her, but hopefully one day she'll get one. In her first book, she did mention a revenge fantasy about when she almost got fired from the office and got told by Greg to go home. In that revenge fantasy, she's winning the Mark Twain Prize for American Humor at the Kennedy Center. She seems to talk about the Mark Twain Prize a lot. It'll come up again. She needs one of these awards in her life. She's um, she's uh, needing some validation from us. Oh, I think maybe she's doing this the Megan Amram way from like the good place. <laughs> like if you keep bringing it up, you'll get a nomination. What's the the secret where it's like the the law of attraction? <laughs> law of attraction. You bring it to you. Yeah. The very last chapter is why not me, and it's about confidence and about hard work. And she says that hard work is the thing that no one wants to hear about. She brings up a tweet from Kevin Hart about how he's super hardworking. And that's the thing that nobody wants to do to get ahead. And that's kind of the thing I wanted to hear about more in this book. There's so much more she's done to get to where she is that we don't know about. Like, that's why I feel like this is not a memoir. This is cute and funny essays in the style of a wounds magazine. But it lacks that actual intimacy and vulnerability that would make it a memoir what do y'all think overall this book felt like kind of a copy and paste of the last book and it was kind of formulaic and the listicle aspect and the pop culture references i think the content kind of focused a little bit more of her in as a hollywood insider or she she made a list of the top 20 curvy women in hollywood and rashi you and i kind of <laughs> spent 20 minutes researching this and it was what 2011 maybe she was referring to something like that mm -hmm. back then people on the list would have been queen latifah melissa mccarthy retta okay so keep that in mind and she wrote this in her book i don't look like them do i i can buy my clothes at regular stores i can still fit into economy an economy seat on a plane those porkers would have to buy a row god damn what <laughs> brand of feminism is fat phobia because at this point i am super annoyed that this is now part of her fucking brand it seems as though <laughs> you know I'm, i think the word you've used before is flummoxed i just don't know what to say in response to that like i'm not one of them ah i can't i fucking can't like I can't with that and just that it, it, it okay so we, we've touched upon her please accept me tone and kind of themes in her writing in her characters and I feel like we're getting this pattern of hating her body mm -hmm. you know it comes out a lot in the and books a lot in the yeah. books and I don't know if it's because she ha she's been in writers' rooms with men her entire career, and actually, she writes with a lot of men, and they, you know, the same people keep are in her orbit. You see the same names on the credits and things like that associated with Kaylee International projects and things like that. So I don't know if this is self-inflicted, or if this is. You know, some kind of environmental response to what she thinks she's expected to say about women who look like her. Either way, it's toxic. 
and I wish it would stop. At the yeah. bottom of that paragraph, she does say, I want to always be as body positive as girls hope that I am. And yet, I occasionally use the word porkers. I'm trying, guys. Trying to what? Like, the, you know, several people made choices to keep that in the book. Knowing knowing what eating disorders are like in this country. Knowing what self-esteem problems are like in this country. You know, choices were made. Yeah. It's just like, whatever number size you're at, doesn't mean you hate everybody who's bigger than that number. Why would that be in your mind to do that? Because then if you got down to zero or two, then you had to hate everyone? Like, what? What? During this time, her performances included this is the end that stoner apocalyptic movie i love where she movie. played herself <laughs> that movie is funny that movie is funny i think doesn't the she night be- say something about um wanting to fuck michael sarah his coked out yes. body <laughs> <laughs> i do remember that vividly think of that, like oh look at all the fine guys at this party and she picks the pastiest white one doesn't she <laughs> The other movie she was in was The Night Before, which is a holiday movie starring Seth Rogen, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and Anthony Mackie, a.k.a. the new Captain America. She was also in The Muppets. That episode right before the show kind of went off the air. And then then she was also in Jay-Z's Family Feud featuring Beyonce, which, if you remember, was that seven-minute musical film directed by Ava DuVernay. Mindy specifically played part of the rebuilding matriarchy and her lines in the video were something along the lines of we must discuss the second amendment or something like that. Other voice work she did, the HBO animated series Animals, where she played Sandy the Squirrel on on an episode and she was also in her largest voiceover work, the voice of Disgust in Inside Out. Because I know you talked earlier about how you can just kind of see her mannerisms and her cartoon voicing. This was so Mindy Kaling. Like, I, I wouldn't say it's who she is as a person, but she played that role perfectly. Just like a super snob. And it was it was just very good casting. Although I did want to say, I didn't like seeing her in Family Feud because I, I, don't, I didn't think she did the work yet. Yeah, she's, she, we'll talk about that later, how she benefits from being the first. So... The year is 2018, and we've arrived at Champions, a crusty gym in New York. Vince is a charismatic gym owner who is living every single bachelor's dream, living with his younger brother, Matthew, in Brooklyn. He has a very simple life and dates this endless string of women until his high school fling, Priya Patel, shows up with their 15-year-old son, Michael. Mindy is the show creator executive producer, and has a recurring role as Priya Patel herself. This show also starred Mozum Makar and Josie Tota. And it also featured white people saying things like, Indian people do pretty good in society, so it's almost like you're not a minority. I don't Mm -hmm. even have the words. (laughs) Uh, You had good words earlier. Words that you had mentioned before was that this show is um, two and a half Indian men. (laughs) <laughs> Two and a half gay men. Two and a half something men. Uh, it was a regurgitation of that, except the single mother storyline was was hammered in there. I only watched the two episodes that Mindy wrote, and I know she can do better than that, so I didn't watch the rest of it. 
She was funny in the in her Mindy way. Like I, I feel like the shows that she wrote had a lot of the qualities of her like quips, mm-hmm. you know, her quick humor, like we talk about. It was just disappointing. You know, you're a producer on a show. You are running a show, right? You're the show creator and you're a brown person in Hollywood. Is she like, I can't wait to show them I can write white dudes? Well, maybe it was just made for that network TV audience of bland people Mm. who like things like Two and a Half Men. It was very white-centric. I couldn't help but think, you're the creator of the show and you had the power to put way more diversity in here. Mm -hmm. But you made choices, and these are the choices you made. And I just didn't understand. It was just like white people and a, a sprinkle of brown people. And Michael was beyond gay. Like, yes, super flaming, limp wrist, over the top, Broadway loving gay. I don't know if they intended to cast a trans person. In As far as casting diversity, they didn't. I don't think that Josie was out as trans yet. So you would not they yet. No, you know that wouldn't even have been known. No. So they would have just been casting for an effeminate gay. So what do you guys think about this? You know, she's a show creator, and she has power, and this is what she chose to do with her power. And and you know, the, while the show, the two shows that Mindy wrote were very very funny. Like they were, they had all those quips. They were quick. But I'm just like, this is what you chose to do. Maybe this is what she proposed. Maybe this is what was bought, right? After all she's done with The Office, with her books, with the movies she starred in, why was it her, like, next goal to write a white men's show? I thought I didn't have anything to say about this except why was Hassan in it. But you just brought up something. She mentioned in her books, in one of those listicles, the types of shows people are buying. And it was always man-child discovers X, man-child does this, man-child does Y. Also, she talks about how NBC passed on her pilot. It went to Fox, right? So taking those two things into consideration, I'm wondering if she gamed NBC into giving her money for this crap. Mindy got money for the show and did not regret it. I, You know what? Yeah. That's like, it seems plausible. It really, really does. And and, and the other part of it is the, sh- the show's in Brooklyn. And I've never seen a, a less diverse depiction of Brooklyn. What Brooklyn suburb is it where there's like no other race? Last year, Mindy re- adapted the four weddings and a funeral into a miniseries again for Hulu. This time, the show follows four American friends who reunite for a fabulous London wedding. The twist in this is that whereas in the original film, Four Weddings and a Funeral, at the end, the final and fourth wedding, Hugh Grant leaves his betrothed at the altar. And in the very first episode of the Four Weddings and a Funeral miniseries, Cash leaves his fiancée, Ainsley at the altar. And so I think it was like, let's start the story where the last one ended. So there's no chance of comparison. And the other aspect of this that was new was that it was very multicultural. There were American black people in this set in London. And then Cash played by Nikesh Patel, 
who played a British Pakistani. This series also featured more women of color writing than in any of her projects. She had four, and they are Lana Cho, Abby Ajayi, Bisha K. Ali, and Meredith Dawson. So, and she had one female director who directed three episodes of the show. I think that behind the scenes, she put in some work here in the casting. Um, I definitely, I love that you brought up who the writers were because Bisha K. Ali, I believe, is either writing or directing Ms. Marvel. Mm. It's cool to see that Bisha K. Ali was on this because she's now going to create a, a, a favorite piece for us. Good, good on Mindy for lifting her up. We cannot fault her for that. In terms of the plot, I only got through the first two episodes that Mindy wrote, and I will say that she writes rom. It's her passion to write rom coms and meet cutes, and she's admitted that, and this played to her strength. She also is very loyal to people she's worked with, and again, you see recurring people in front of and behind the camera, including Mindy Project alums. Ainsley is played by the doctor that was hired, and Mindy Lahiri is a misogynist. And then the cheating senator boyfriend was the the sports agent Josh who struggled with addiction. So she oh. reached way, yeah, she reached way back to bring people forward. Did you guys watch it? And what did you think? I also only watched the beginning of it. I have to say, I'm entertained. It's cute. It's fun to watch. I can't wait to see what happens next. I'm glad to see two people like that are the couple on the cover. They're the main characters. Uh, it's a Black and South Asian couple. We haven't seen that in a while. We've seen episodes of TV shows where networks almost put a South Asian woman and a Black man together. Almost. Hinting at it. Kind of like Tahani and Chidi didn't quite do it. Priyanka and Blair Underwood did not quite happen. Didn't happen. Uh, in Quantico. Finally, we're seeing something. So again, kind of good on Mindy for like making this the, the, the couple we get to look at. Uh, Natalie Emanuel, she looks like Lee Rodriguez. She was mm-hmm. in Game of Thrones. Yeah. So I don't know about the success of this. I'm actually looking forward to watching the rest of it. That's funny that you say that because even Cash's dad, like his mom has passed away. So there's not even like a couple of color remaining anywhere. Except the main character. Mindy forayed into film in 2019 as well with her first film late night it was directed by nisha ganatra and she mindy wrote the screenplay premiered in 2019 at sundance and amazon bought it for 13 million dollars the movie stars the great emma thompson as katherine newberry a once great talk show host at the on the cusp of being canceled because she's become irrelevant She goes back to her roots as a raw and honest comedian with the help of a plucky first-time comedy writer, Molly Patel, who was a diversity hire. (laughs) So I think Mindy pulled from her real-life experience because she did document that she felt like she was the diversity hire for the office. She also detailed, I think, in her books, Rashi mentioned that she does not mind being the Indian sidekick or the minority sidekick. Yep. Yep. She for sure says that. I thought this was a cute story, sort of in that devil wears Prada, but with a brown twist kind of way. The beginning of this movie, Emma Thompson's character, who's of course an English woman, 
is winning the Mark Twain Prize in American Humor at the Kennedy Center. And that's in the first five minutes of the movie. And the rest of the movie is about her not remembering how to be funny and having to learn again and learning that from a novice writer who used to work at a chemical plant. So I thought it was interesting to see the Mark Twain Prize yet again. And also that's kind of a funny twist of like, you really have to be incredibly funny to win a Mark Twain Prize or incredibly yeah. prolific in your comedic works. The champions ain't going to get nobody a Mark Twain Prize. Mm -mm. Uh, yeah, I think that like it's a body of work, like it's it's body of consistent work. Uh, she can do the Megan Omram and, and vouch for herself and get those gigs, I suppose, to build. The but most Dave Chappelle winner is Dave Chappelle. <laughs> body of work, body of work, mm -hmm. and not just body of work, bold, bold ass body of work, right? Yeah. Yeah, so like how bold was Dave Chappelle his whole career? So that kind if, of. Yeah, if Mindy wants to win a Mark Twain prize, like she needs genius level funny again. Like you said, Dave Chappelle's the last recipient. I don't put them in the same category of comedians at all. No. You know, I think she needs to show us something that we can only see through her eyes. And, you know, imagine that your friends aren't going to not talk to you anymore and that you'll, you'll come out the other side. Okay. And that people will accept you no matter what you say, that level of comedy that's deeply intimate and vulnerable will get her there. And we're just scratching at the surface right now. Thank you for saying that. I'm going to go back to the ne the last nine years of winners of the Mark Twain Prize. Okay, so these would be her contemporaries if she were to win the 2021, right? Although, who wants to win anything from this administration? Uh, <laughs> Dave Chappelle, 2019. Julia Louis-Dreyfus, 2018. David Letterman, 2017. Bill Murray, 2016. Eddie Murphy, 2015. Jay Leno, for some reason, 2014. Carol Burnett, 2013, Ellen DeGeneres, 2012, Will Ferrell, 2011, Tina Fey, 2010, and Bill Cosby, 2009, and George Carlin, 2008. But even Mindy. Jay Leno, like Miranda said, body of work. He's hosted yeah. The Tonight Show for, what, 20 years now? Yeah. But the, but the other thing is, the people who come to honor the Mark Twain recipient are not the same seven people that they worked with their entire career. <laughs> right. And look at the people who honored Dave Chappelle too. Q-Tip, John Stewart. I'm going to pass that Sarah Silverman. One. Yeah. Morgan Freeman. The cast of SNL. Lorne Michaels. Yeah. Like everybody came out common. Everybody came out for Dave Chappelle because body of work, right? David Letterman, body of work. Can't believe Tina Fey got this honor before some of these people, like mm -hmm. Bill Murray, uh, Carol Burnett. What is anybody getting this award before Carol Burnett for? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, who Who is on that voting committee? What the fuck? You know, but Whoopi Goldberg's back here. Richard Pryor is back here. This started, uh, at least I'm looking, from 1998. Uh, yeah, like Lauren Michaels himself's on here. Billy Crystal's on here. Lily Tomlin. Like, yeah, oh my God, yes. These are people who've had significant, high, innovative, creative, just busting boundaries kinds of work. And I think Mindy 
Mindy has the start, like I, I consider what she did on the office part of a body of mm-hmm. work. Yes. Like a significant, I think what she did there is a significant body of work. Yes. I think what, um, I don't know, but I have a feeling like some, I'm going to watch the rest of it, but four weddings and a funeral might be that level. Cause it, it just looks really quality. So I really wonder if it is good. Um, uh, and I hope I enjoy it on honest to goodness. Um, but like she's appeasing a certain crowd, right? Trying to fit in instead of sticking out. I yeah. see Hassan Minaj getting this award before her. You Ooh. know who I was thinking who should be on there who's not yet? Conan O'Brien. Yeah, what yeah. the heck? Maybe, maybe yeah. 2020. Because he has that body of work and genius level funny. Like he has his writing on The Simpsons. He has his late late show and then when he was on the tonight show and his current show and how he's transitioned he's one of the few older comedians who's transitioned to social media in a way that nobody else has i think mindy is signaling like a uh you know her aspirations and i honestly hope she levels up because like you're all you're both saying she writes surface level stuff and my concern for her is that the stuff that she likes to write the genre that she's writing in how relevant is that going to be in four or five years given the nature of the world that is today do you think the traditional rom-com is going to be what people want to ingest going forward they might because love is blind is popular this year (laughs) people still (laughs) watch the bachelor a a dystopian rom-com she's loves it she loves this (laughs) this genre right so like i'm just saying cut the shit with all this like you said base level shit like go back to the office times there was observational humor has to have a little bit more to really not be just low-hanging fruit but it's when you really start to go deeper that you get the really really funny stuff like nobody's winning for a late night monologue whereas hassan minaj storytelling Mm -hmm. city right which is why he stands out big time for mindy that veneer that she puts on is what's preventing her from getting the truth that needs to build that body of work for the mark twain prize and who are who am i i'm also somebody who aspires to the mark twain prize and i have nothing to show for it so i'm not gonna (laughs) to throw stones it's okay we're only halfway through our lives i know um no and you know what okay can i speak to this though it it correct who are we because we what have we done i feel like we've done important shit don't even say that Pooja. <laughs> but it's about like what you do when you're in once you're in the mainstream and once what you do once you have a platform and once you have power i think that's what sets those other people apart and so what i think we're begging for mindy to do and maybe it's just not in the cards for her. Maybe it's for the person that yeah. follows. Would I love to see her rise above and like kick ass and get to that level you're talking about, Rashi? Like, I would love to see Mindy go there. Mm-hmm. Love. Yeah. And, and, you know, I thought maybe with her, maybe with who she is rubbing elbows with now, she might get different projects, right? See different perspectives, see different writers, directors, actors, stories study what other Mm -hmm. people are doing and and maybe like letting her own voice just become exponential that way is she has a bachelor's degree in playwriting she 
understands story and she understands narrative arc and she does that well like Pooja said she writes the first like she does the bookends she does the first and the last episode of the season many times she's good at that part of it but here's what I'm concerned about I went back and revisited that Terry Gross interview right before Never Have I Ever came out this is what Mindy had to say about how they came up with the show quote so the story of why we did the show was a little bit unromantic in that I was approached by Netflix, an executive named Brooke Kessler, who had read both of my books and loved the sections about when I was a teenager. Brooke Kessler asked her to do it. It wasn't an idea she came up with herself. Mm. And then she was surprised by her own success with the show, too. I don't even think she knew how successful this was going to be. Her performances during this era was a wrinkle in time she played Mrs. Who. And Mrs. Who, for those of you who don't recall, was described as a small, round woman with thick spectacles who always speaks in quotes, which sometimes makes her difficult to understand. She worked with Ava DuVernay for the second time on that project. She was in Ocean's 8. She played Amita, who was a long-suffering, stay-at-home jewelry designer who was bribed to be part of the heist with enough money so that she could move out from her parents' house. (laughs) And she did a couple guest spots on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and The Morning Show on Apple TV. Miranda, you wanted to talk about that real quick? Uh, First of all, The Morning Show is a show starring Steve Carell, Jennifer Aniston, and Reese Witherspoon. And it was written surrounding the Me Too movement. Mindy Kaling is in it. And she is uh, a very popular host on another channel whose ratings are coming close to just killing this other show. And she just tries to, like, shark talent away from this network. And she's a bitch. Like, her character is a total bitch. She's she's a snarky little attitude like, backstabbing biatch in this show. And so it was fun to see her say something different, you know? Because Mindy had that seminal conversation with Reese that the only role she's ever gotten she's had to create. Reese has taken that to heart, and she's created space with her book club to highlight authors of color with her other projects in which she's trying to be inclusive and give equity behind the camera as well. The other thing she did in 2018 was she gave the commencement address at Dartmouth. And at the very end of it, her call to action was, you know, you may have your ambition planned out or you may not, but the biggest thing you have to do is ask yourself, why not me? Also the title of her book, why not me? And she said that when she was sitting there graduating from Dartmouth herself, she asked herself that question. And for 17 years, she continued to whisper that question to herself. Why not me? So I think that the fact that she phrased it like that, I think there's a sense of she doesn't necessarily feel deserving despite all of her accomplishments. And maybe that's because she's not had any critical achievements on her own, right? And I think, and again, beating that poor dead horse, she needs to freshen up the voices around her if she wants to grow and build that body of work. And that's just an observation from somebody who's watched 80% of everything she's yeah, done. That's really interesting because at the very end of her book, Why Not Me, the last chapter is, is called Why Not Me. And it's about confidence and entitlement. And 
she says that confidence is just entitlement. Entitlement has gotten a bad rap because it's used almost exclusively for the useless children of rich reality TV stars and Conrad Hilton Jr. who gets <laughs> get kicked <laughs> off an airplane for smoking pot in the laboratory and calling people peasants or whatever. But entitlement in and of itself is not bad. Entitlement is simply the belief that you deserve something, which is great. The hard part is you better make sure you deserve it. So how did I make sure that I deserved it? Hard work. Uh, well, I want to I want to respond to something you said earlier, it, just to be short. I know she's had some critical acclaim, like obviously being a part of like a cult TV show, earning an, what was it, an Emmy for that episode? Like she's had awards. She's had credit. And when I saw thought about her, why not me? Uh, I thought George Bernard Shaw, you know, some people say why I say why not I thought that was a play on that I wasn't but not to negate themes of insecurity at all thank you for joining us for these 13 episodes and thank you Miranda for joining us today late bloomers the web series of podcasts was produced and edited by Rashi Raj and Pooja Maharaj until next time black lives matter bye bye